TheWellnessCouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to 100 Not Out, featuring your hosts, Dr. Damien Christoph and Marcus Pierce. Hello and welcome to 100 Not Out, a weekly show dedicated to helping you master the art of aging well. Marcus Pierce here with you and we are about to discuss all things diets for aging well, gluten or gluten-free, what to go for, blood types and so many other topics that come up around the question, what should I eat for a great long life? This is not my wheelhouse. This is definitely the wheelhouse of Dr. Damien Christoph, my co-host here on 100 Not Out. The next two episodes are recordings from a recent longevity evening we had in Melbourne where we discuss all things aging, aging gracefully and living the 100 Not Out lifestyle. If you're new here, welcome along. This is all part of our conversation around Icaria and Sardinia, our 100 Not Out longevity experiences that we take uh, small groups of people to the Blue Zone Greek island of Icaria, also known as the island where people forget to die, and to the Italian Blue Zone of Sardinia, which is not the whole island, just 13 little villages in the middle of nowhere off the beaten track near the insane mountains, if you will. We are going back there in 2024. Icaria is August 22 to 31. And then the next day, we land in Sardinia for uh, our Sardinian Longevity Experience, September 1 to 10. You are welcome to join us in one or both locations. All of the details are at 100notout.com. That's 100notout.com. Enjoy this episode discussing longevity diets with Dr. Damien Christoph. I want to talk about nutrition for longevity. Uh, and it's going to be based on the things that I've learned um, over the years. And so, of course, I'm going to give you a bit of my journey. Some of you will have heard my journey, um, how I got to where I am. Some of you won't have ever heard it. Um, but I'll just share it because some things change. Anyway, so I, I was born in Mount Gambia. Anyone know that? Yeah, there we go. A couple of women knew I was born in Mount Gambia. Uh, born in Mount Gambia. Uh, I lived there for three months and realised it wasn't the place for me. And so uh, mum and dad took me to Dandenong, uh, which we thought might be better. And we, um, we, we grew up in Dandenong. So I was in Dandenong for the better part of 18 years, so seven and a half years. Um, and I ate lots of white bread, had salada biscuits for morning tea. Uh, in fact, I had fairy bread for lunch, uh, which was delicious. I love that. Um, and then uh, I'd have premium biscuits, um, one whole packet. Um, sometimes when I got home, no spreads. Um, sometimes when I got home, I was really hungry, so I'd have a couple of pickles and then a spoonful of peanut butter. Um, and if I was really lucky, if we had some fish fingers in the uh, in the freezer, I put some fish fingers in some stale bread, put them in the microwave, and put some tomato sauce on it. And uh, and that was kind of uh, 25 seconds, not 30 seconds, because it gets wrecked at 30 seconds, right? So. Um, <laughs> Mum tried to teach us good food and she'd make ratatouille and we'd have that with ham steaks and, um, and that was kind of uh, the sort of food that I got exposed to just because we survived. Um, on a Sunday night we'd have St Vincent de Paul turn up with a big plastic bag, a garbage bag with the stale bread from the uh, bakery um, that was left over from Waverley Gardens on the, uh, the weekend and, um, and we would put that in the big chest freezer that we had that was usually empty or it had a big tub of um, eight litres of Neapolitan ice cream that we got from Jules. And, uh, and that was uh, just about how I lived. Anyway, I managed to survive um, school, got through high school, not very well. I probably scored, I think, the second or third highest in my school um, with the 294 out of 410. And uh, so it didn't go very well. Um, and I couldn't get into university. There was a university in Geelong that took me that was Deakin University. And I went there to study to be an accountant. 
uh, and I loved it so much that I spent three years doing first year. Uh, it was the best, <laughs> it was unreal. Uh, and so I had a lot of fun. I grew my hair really long and it must have grown out. And uh, I, uh, I grew my hair and I smoked lots of herbs um, with my experimentation. I expanded my consciousness and developed cravings for different foods. And uh, the foods generally were fruit-based, so strawberries and cream from Allen's, uh, strawberry uh, Big M's from uh, Big M Pura, and, uh, and of course... Um, I really enjoyed strawberry donuts, and so a lot of fruit in my diet. Um, eventually, I was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome, and in New Zealand, they, they say that's ME. Um, so I figured I was suffering from me, and so which is exactly what was happening. And so mum said to me, Damien, you've had enough. You've got to go see my naturopath. Now, I was pretty cool. I wore Stussy shirts and, uh, and all that sort of stuff, and, and I said, mum, I don't want to go to a naturopath. I don't even wear deodorant. They smell. Uh, and they're going to make me go vegan, right? I don't want to be a vegan. So she goes, no, go see David Fitz. He's a cracker. And so I went to see David Fitz. And, um, and the only part of accounting that I passed was the part that you knew if you had to spend money, it wasn't good. So she said she'd pay for me. So I, I went to this naturopath. David said, your diet's not very good. I said, really? And he said, oh, yeah, it's not very good. So he put me on this acid alkaline diet. Acid, who's heard of the acid alkaline diet? Anyone heard of that? So I did the acid alkaline diet and within maybe, I don't know, let's say six months with some herbs, um, I felt pretty good. And I said to him, David, do you think I could be a naturopath? He said, oh, I don't know. And uh, <laughs> I said, I reckon I could. Aren't you the principal? He said, yeah. And so I applied to get in and I got in. And, uh, and it took me four years to finish that course, which was great because it was a four-year course. And, uh, and, I, um, and I graduated with honours in herbal medicine. Um, and I put that down to the herbs I experimented with in accounting. And uh, so that was pretty good. And, uh, and I loved nutrition. For whatever reason, I just loved nutrition. Anyway, I got a gig uh, working in Trelgan, and I was working in Trelgan. Um, I actually thought I was going to the other valley. I thought I was going to Yarra Valley, but I ended up in the Latrobe Valley. So um, I, I went there, and I noticed that heaps of people were sick, fat, and overweight, and sick and dying, taking lots of drugs, and living a really sad life. There was a lot of really fit, healthy people, and there was massive divide, massive divide. And I tried to help the unhealthy ones. And what I learned as a naturopath is that most people didn't want to be as healthy as I wanted them to be. And I tried really, really hard to help them be healthy. Anyway, I was burned out after three years of being a naturopath. And I'm sitting in front of a lady who was married to a chiropractor, Di Coleman was her name. And I started crying. She said, what's going on? And I said, well, I don't think I want to be a naturopath anymore. It's like telling someone you don't want to drink beer anymore. You know, I was like, I don't want to be a naturopath. And she said, you're kidding. I said, no. Nah. She said, why don't you become a chiropractor? I said, really? And she goes, yeah. I said, all right. So I, uh, I decided to go and study to be a chiropractor. And uh, that day, the, the uh, applications closed and we had to speak to uh, Nolan, um, Noreen, uh, something. And, uh, and she was at RMIT and I fast-tracked I fast my passport to her, my application form, got accepted into the course, sold my practice, told Michelle that we're moving back to Melbourne with Jackson. And she's gone, yes, that's great, because she, she was singing, she was a gigger, and, um, and she did all of her, her singing. And um, I got back to Melbourne, and I was told that I didn't get into the course. And I said, but I want to get into the course. You know, I've sold my business, moved my family here. And they said, well, you can pay $27,000 as a full fee paying Australian, pay cash today, and you can get into the course. And I had this empty credit card. So I put it all on the credit card and uh, we had zero money, zero money. So I had high expectations of what the course would be. And um, I decided that uh, after the first year that that course wasn't for me, RMIT. 
So I decided to go to New Zealand and I studied chiropractic over in New Zealand. And while I was in New Zealand, in order to pay the bills, I started doing a weight loss program over there. And the weight loss program I, I called, um, no, that was the next iteration. I called it something. Anyway, so I did that weight loss program and it worked if you did it. And so, um, and I found that uh, it was, uh, you know, people were calling up saying, oh, does your program work? I said, yes. And I, I employed this naturopath, her name was Beck, and she worked with me for a little bit, and she broke up with her boyfriend, and she moved back to Australia, and there was a phone call um, to the reception, and the receptionist uh, answered the phone and said, oh, no, Beck no longer works here, she's moved back to Australia, but you can speak to our other naturopath. And I'm like, I am the naturopath. And so I picked up the phone and said, hi, can I help you? And she said, um, I'm looking for a female naturopath to be a nutritionist um, on a TV show. And I said, well, I could be female, but I've got a really deep voice, could I do the job? And she goes, well, why don't you come down? And I said, look, it's my weight loss program. I went to TV3, I auditioned for the presenter role and got the presenter role and then did this thing, helping people get into ketosis to help them lose weight. Now I mentioned that because keto at the time was really trendy. Um, right now I could probably do, I don't know, carnivore or maybe I could have done paleo or could have done all of those things. In fact, if you eat a Mediterranean diet, your body will normalize its weight and it will get to where it needs to be over time, which is kind of cool. Anyway, I did the keto program for these people and I designed it around a program which I feel very passionate about uh, because I read a book on it called, um, oh my God, I'm really struggling with this one, The Zone Diet. I did The Zone Diet um, but I talked about um, people living, eating food that they uh, had evolved to consume. So it's eat right for your type. So the eat right for your type diet was a, a fabulous diet and I felt that that was probably the key. And through what I've learned through traveling to Ikaria and to Sardinia and then interviewing all these people that have lived a long time is I think that the eat right for your type diet is probably the best way to go. And a Mediterranean diet based on your blood type probably is about right. So that's the summary. That's the summary. So that's 25 years of education in just two or three minutes. My inspiration in life um, was this man, Rock, my grandfather, and uh, Papa made it to 99 years old and 350 days. So close to raising the bat. He, got a, he nicked it, got through to the keeper, and was uh, dismissed on 99. And so unfortunately for Papa, he had a slip. Um, I used to tell him all the time, lift your feet. If you don't lift your feet, you'll trip. He goes, Damien, I'll be right. And uh, he didn't lift his feet, and he tripped one day, smacked his head on the, um, on the outside part of the fireplace, and uh, had a brain bleed, and then the, the last, let's say, 12 months of his life were horrendous, horrendous. In and out of rehab at the Kingston Centre, it was just terrible. Then we had him in a, in a home, and it just wasn't very good at all. But Papa was a vegetarian for the whole of his life, and his favourite meal was a cheeseburger from McDonald's and, uh, and a meat pie um, that he'd uh, heat in a microwave, and uh, he always loved... Um, having a sausage and lamb on the weekends. And so, but he would always say he was vegetarian and that was what he did. Right? So here's the, uh, my oldest living uh, vegetarian that I know, right? Yeah, that's Papa, that's Papa. And he had cornflakes for breakfast with warm milk and a couple of teaspoons of sugar. Um, a couple of slices of um, wholemeal bread with uh, butter, had to be butter and he melted, he just let that butter get to room temperature and then marmalade and a cup of tea. And no one else could make the tea. Unbelievable. 99 years old, and I reckon he would have risen the bat had we made his house maybe a little bit safer. Or had he moved his feet and lifted his legs, that would have been better. Isabel, that's my wife's um, grandmother, 
Isabel, she made it to 100 and just, just over 100, nearly 101. And uh, that's pretty much how she looked the week before she died. Um, incredible, full of life. She had a vaccine reaction, unfortunately, um, around the time of COVID. And, um, and she died of liver failure very, very quickly soon after that, which was horrendous. And um, so we lost Isabel. And um, she moved to Melbourne from Coffs Harbour because she ate everything. And she one night had some Chinese food um, in Coffs Harbour and then got food poisoning. And then she fell down at her house and just no one saw her for three days and she was surrounded in, you know, stuff, as you can imagine. And she had the fear of God put in her and she said, I want to be close to my family. And so we moved her down to Melbourne and she lived in Canterbury at Faversham House for about 10 years and said it was the best time of her later years in her life. She was close to the family. We visited her all the time. We, we, we escaped her. We took her out and we went to Mailing Road and got, you know, coffees and teas and pancakes and went to all these different places and just had a wonderful time. And the highlight of her life was catching up with family and sharing a meal. Sharing a meal. Isabel. We called her Hitty because um, her, her oldest grandchild couldn't say Isabel, so he called her Hitty. Hittabel. So Hitty. She was a cracker. She was great. These two are my inspiration for longevity. Piercy obviously introduced me to longevity at 40 because I was packing, or just before 40, I was packing myself. I didn't know what would happen when you turn 40. Um, what, you know, would I get diseases? Uh, would I have to have a prostate check? Um, you know, <laughs> I did do that and I've never been back. And, uh, and so I <laughs> got the phone call the other day, Damien, came up to 50, it's time to come back. And now it's done with a blood test, which is excellent. So, uh, which is great, but it makes me feel better. And Marcus then took me over to Ikaria because we wanted to spread the message of what we were learning. And so Ikaria, it's unbelievable. The 2024 one's coming up. And Marcus said before that there's four spots left. There's probably, there could be four spots left, but there's other people that are in, in the queue. So we'll just see what happens there. And if you want to come, you can come. But I think this might be a dead spot right here, PC. Yeah, right there. That's what it is. So this is... This is Ikaria, and I call Ikaria the Mecca uh, from a food perspective. And when we learn about the Mediterranean diet, often people say to me, Damo, what's the diet that's best to follow in order to live a long time? And I go, oh, it's probably some kind of Mediterranean diet. And they go, what do you mean some kind? And I said, well, the Mediterranean's massive. You've got Sicily, Sardinia, uh, you've got Corsica, you've got Italy, you've got Greece, you've got Turkey, you've got Spain, France, parts of France, you've got all of that in the Mediterranean and all of those diets are really different, aren't they? All of them. The French have, well, actually, there's this thing called the French paradox. You know, the French um, have a lot of fat, um, they have lots of carbs, they have the carbs and the fat together, which if you're in paleo land, you can't do that. But they drink a lot of red wine. And so their paradox was that they didn't get heart disease even though they had heaps of fat. So in the studies that were done, to understand why people get cholesterol, um, they excluded the French and the Germans because they ate high fat diets and they consumed red wine. So that was excluded from the data. So that meant that everybody else in other countries that ate a high fat diet who didn't eat the red wine, they had heart disease, but that was excluded. So that meant that if you ate a high fat diet, you're gonna have cholesterol and you needed statins. That's where the data kind of came from and that was the French paradox that they described. Anyway, I believe that Icaria shares secrets I want to show you some of the food, and, uh, and it's quite incredible. So you see that little barcode up there. You'll see that on all the slides. And if you want to go to our website to find out more information about anything, then you can. Um, 
Nast is where we go. This is a little village um, that we go to. Behind that sign is a massive lizard, and I love lizards, and I've got heaps of photos of lizards. Um, it's an enormous lizard, and I love it. And what I wanted to highlight to you was the consumption of gluten. Now, Marcus did a little survey just before and asked people uh, who's been gluten-free and who, who's allergic to gluten. And has anybody ever wondered why there's so much gluten intolerance or gluten sensitivity in Australia these days? Anyone ever wondered that? Ever thought about it? Well, I learnt yesterday listening to, a, to an article uh, on a podcast I listened to that Australia is number one in the world for allergies. We have the most amount of allergies in the world, which is incredible. And I think Melbourne is number one on top of that. So Melbourne, yeah, we win again, so which is pretty good. Uh, we're number one again. What's really interesting is that what happens with uh, exposure to proteins, is it too cold? I'll put it on 19 because it was really hot. Yeah, and I saw Chester sweating, right? So Chester was sweating and uh, so I dropped it down. What happens when you're exposed to proteins? You have an immune reaction. So many of you might have seen um, the hay fever protocol that I've got on my website. If you've got hay fever and you want to get rid of hay fever, then you take a probiotic. And the reason why that uh, protocol came about is because what I realized is that people, when they get exposed to proteins, have an autoimmune or an excessive immune response inside their body, which is derived from the gut. What's interesting about gluten is that the only reason why we have a massive hypersensitivity to it is because we eat so much of that one protein. So let's just do a little diet, for example, just so that we can take you through it. Anyone ever heard of the food pyramid before? Yeah. When was the first time you heard about the food pyramid? When you were a child. Yeah, that's right. And it was a triangle, just like that, uh, the Exceptional Life Blueprint one, but uh, it's a different triangle. And it said that the first most important thing that you should eat are grains and cereals and starchy carbohydrates. In fact, 70% of your diet, according to the food pyramid, should be from grains and starch and, and, and cereal products. 70% of your calorie load should be from that. Not fresh fruit and vegetables, from the grains. Now, what's interesting, if you talk to anybody in the Jewish religion, is that in, in their teachings, they understand that if you, can, if you can educate a child from zero through to seven, then they will understand for the whole of your life, their life zero through to seven, very formative years. And what's fascinating about that is that if you saw this food pyramid somewhere between the age of zero to seven, you know the food pyramid back to front. It's ingrained in you and that's the diet that you follow. And so just go with me on this one. Let's say, for example, you're just following the food pyramid. You didn't know that you were, but you are because it's in your body. It's in your DNA. You learned it from zero through to seven and you had a breakfast. What would be a serve of cereal that you might have for breakfast according to the packet? that you're, you're, you're shaking it from. What's a serve of cereal? 30, 30 grams, 30, 40 grams. Who measures out 30 to 40 grams of cereal? Funny daughter. Yeah, there's always one. There's always one that does. There's always one that does. Two, two, two. So the thing is when you get your cereal, you generally tip it all out of it and you make it look like the bowl, the picture on the bowl of, of, the, of the bowl on the packet. And you do that and then you put some milk in it and maybe if you're lucky you have some sugar with it and, uh, and you eat that and you head off to work. By middle of the morning, you're starving and you're going to eat something. Generally, you're going to eat something like a croissant or a muffin, a low-fat muffin, of course. Um, maybe you have a sandwich uh, that you'd packed the night before. Maybe it's some slider biscuits. Maybe it's some biscuits and cheese. I don't know. What else could it be? Muesli bar? Donut. Donut. Donut yeah. Muffin. muffin. Yeah. So we're having some more carbohydrates, grain-based, generally gluten-containing carbohydrate fuels. For lunchtime, what are we going to have? May we have a panini or we have a, I don't sandwich. know, sandwich, salad roll, if you're being healthy. 
um, but it might be just some processed meat uh, or it could be just some peanut butter or Vegemite and cheese uh, inside, a, inside a roll. And then you're starving by the middle of the afternoon. Um, and of course, by the middle of the afternoon, you start to crave stuff. And crave starts with C and ends in E. And uh, so what are you going to crave? You're going to start, well, you're going to crave everything that starts with C and ends in E. Like cake, chocolate, chippy, coke, coffee, cheese, caffeine. That's right. That's all the stuff that we're going to be craving. We're having that at the end of the day, well, that middle part of the day, 2.33 o'clock, 3.34 o'clock, and we're fatigued. By the time we get home, we're stressed out. It's been really tough. We go to the biscuits and cheese um, or the dips and crackers, so some more carbohydrates and probably some more gluten, and then we decide that we're feeling pretty fatigued, so we're going to cook some pasta, and we're going to reheat um, a little bit of uh, spag bowl that we've got in the freezer, and, uh, and that's our meal. And for the day, many of us might not be consuming enough fruits and vegetables, and most of us have consumed maybe three to five, maybe seven meals of gluten in the day. That's our primary source of protein, our primary source of protein. What do you think that does to the body? Do you remember Norm? Uh, and he was, you know, life be in it, and it was all about you are what you eat. Well, that's what it was. And so essentially become a piece of wheat, like if you just keep on eating. Not really. But, you know, what's happening is that you're eating so much of one particular protein, that's what happens. Like you wouldn't start the day by having two eggs, for breakfast, two eggs for morning tea, two eggs for lunch, two eggs for afternoon tea, two eggs for dinner, and then maybe for dessert, two eggs. You wouldn't do that, would you? <laughs> Who would do that? Would, it, would you do that, Claire? I was just saying, we, we share an office, and I, would, I think if, that, if we were all doing that, it wouldn't be a good place to... Nah, 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 there'd be a little bit of uh, methane, there'd be a little bit of, there'd be a bit of gas, there'd be a bit of gas. So having that one, that type of protein in so much abundance creates a challenge. Now, let alone the way in which we treat gluten and wheat in Australia, they don't do that in Icaria or in Italy. The way in which they treat wheat over there is so different. There's no Monsanto, there's no glyphosate. That's just not happening over there. They're going back to the tradition of the traditional types of wheat, which is beautiful. It's delicious. Durum wheat, unbelievable and uh, actually quite good for you. So I used to be anti-gluten. All of my programs were all anti-gluten. Everything I did was anti-gluten. And what I realized was that I was creating gluten problems for people. So that when they became exposed to gluten, they'd have a massive reaction to it. So they then be, that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Oh my gosh, I can't eat gluten because when I eat gluten, I bloat and I don't like to bloat, so I won't eat gluten. And every time we don't eat gluten and we're exposed to it again, you have a bigger bloat. And so it's all about teetering and trying to find your way back into gluten. Not that I'm saying you should eat gluten, but if you wanted to eat gluten and you don't have celiac disease, then you could start to eat gluten again. And when you go to Greece and when you go to Italy and you're eating the wheat and the gluten that's over there, you don't get bloated. You don't get bloated. Is that interesting? Anyway, we'll just go back to that little um, hay fever protocol. The hay fever protocol came to me because I was reading papers on how to manage allergies to cats. And we just bought a cat. Her name was Misty, still is. And, uh, and so uh, she, was, she dropped lots of fur and we bought her because she was supposed to not drop lots of fur and uh, I mean, you can't take them back. And so anyway, I, uh, I had to find my way through that and I learned that there was a probiotic that regulated mast cell activity in the gut. And mast cells are the cells that explode and release histamine. And so these little white blood cells um, explode when exposed to a protein that your body doesn't like. And that's what happens with people when they have a reaction to gluten or they have a reaction to peanuts or they have a reaction to pet dander or 
dust or whatever. So that's a mast cell reaction. And LGG, this probiotic, downregulates it. And so you can get it in yogurts like Valia. You can get it in uh, Chobani yogurt. They have uh, LGG in that. But you can also take it in a tablet. And, uh, and I've managed to help people with hay fever with that. And that's a really great thing to remember that you can overcome many of these sensitivities just by using probiotics. How cool is that? Who's got hay fever? Who doesn't want to have hay fever? Yeah, just do that LGG thing. It's um, unbelievable. Yeah, it's a capsule. Yeah, Tr Trudy can show you that, Claire, when you come in. Um, so this is a part of a Mediterranean diet. Does this look familiar? Yeah, totally familiar. Um, this is what we eat in um, Ikaria. And we have that three meals a day, pretty much. It's there for breakfast, it's there for lunch, it's there for dinner. And if you want a snack, you can have some more salad, Greek salad. <clears throat> and you never get sick of it. And there's different variations of it. Sometimes we've got more of stuff, sometimes we've got less of stuff. But it's only ever what's in the garden at the time. So one of the things that I get asked for whenever we go to uh, Greece, Theo will say, Damien, is there anything that you want to eat? And I'll go, can I have some Spanakopita? I always ask for Spanakopita. And she says, it's not spinach season, so you can't have Spanakopita. And I go, come on, get me some Spanakopita. So they'll make it using amaranth leaves. Amaranth leaves. What do we use amaranth for over here? We use it for a cereal. So we grind it down or we puff it up and we have it as, you know, we have amaranth pasta, or you can have amaranth in your bread, or you can have amaranth in your cereals. We wait till the plant's about to die and then we eat its seed as opposed to eating the fresh leaves, which they would boil up and make spanakopita or amaranth copita out of it. Is that what it would be? <laughs> amaranth copita? <laughs> something like that, something like that. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.